their declarations of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, um, let me uh, begin uh, this morning by asking, I wonder how many have seen a film called Hidden Figures, 2016 film set in 1961 at the height of the space race. It was a space race between America and Russia, and, and the whole idea was to put a man on the moon and, and to put a man in space. And Hidden Figures tells the story of three African-American women who were mathematicians. And they played a pivotal role as the brains behind one of the greatest space accomplishments in U.S. history. Their names were Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughan, and Mae Jackson. These women were known as the human computers, and they specifically helped with calculating the momentous launch of John Glenn into orbit and, very pleased for him, guaranteeing his smooth return back to Earth. And the film is a great film. I've watched it, and I would recommend it. It tells the story of these three women battling a huge amount of discrimination on grounds of both gender and race. They were the hidden figures in the successful space race, in the successful mission. And for many, many decades, their story was never told. And they were never given the recognition that they deserved until very recently. Now today, we're going to begin a new preaching series entitled Hidden Figures in the Easter Story. And over the coming weeks, we're going to look at various characters, including Simon of Cyrene, Barabbas, Joseph Arimathea, Pilate, and Mary Magdalene. But today, we're going to start with Judas Iscariot. Just a nice, light introduction to look at Judas Iscariot. Now, in case you don't know, Judas was one of the 12 disciples who was personally chosen by Jesus. And he lived and walked and spent his life with Jesus for three years. He followed him everywhere on his earthly ministry. I mean, it tells us at the Last Supper that, that, that Judas was, was a close enough friend of Jesus that, that Jesus dipped his bread into the same cup that Judas was using at the Last Supper. Now, the title of this message is, What Could Have Been? Now, we're going to start in Matthew 26, verses 14 to 16. We're going to start with where the initiative came from for Judas to betray Jesus. Let's read Matthew 26, verses 14 to 16. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him, that's Jesus, over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now, as I said, the initiative 
to betray Jesus came from Judas. Judas was the one who came offering the opportunity to betray Jesus Christ. This wasn't the enemies of Judas making an inquiry amongst the disciples. This wasn't the enemies of Jesus trying to work out where was the weak link, who was the one that they could tap up to get them to betray Jesus and get Jesus where they wanted him to be. No, no, Judas sought them out. Now, there is no clear reason why that might be. Some possibilities that scholars talk about as such. One possibility was that maybe, maybe Judas knew the powers that Jesus possessed. He, he saw him through his three years of earthly ministry. And maybe Judas wanted to put Jesus into a position where he would have to use his powers to destroy the opposition, to destroy the Romans, to destroy the, the chief priests and, and all of those who were in opposition. Judas was impatient, maybe. Maybe this was a way of making something happen. Or another possibility that scholars put out there is that maybe Judas was this violent man who wanted to see the Romans driven out of Palestine. He, he thought that, that Jesus was going to be the one who was going to lead this rebellion. But when he saw over three years that Jesus was a man of peace, he was disillusioned. He wanted to get rid of him and move on to someone else who would come along and defeat the Romans. Or maybe, maybe, as some other scholars say, Judas was just disillusioned. He, he, he saw that Jesus wasn't going to be what he wanted him to be, so he thought he'd betray him and save himself. There's some of the speculation that scholars come up with. But here's what we do know. We know that money mattered to, Ju to Judas. We know that Judas was the treasurer of this little band of Jesus and his 12 disciples, that, that Judas was the one who looked after the money. And interestingly, in Matthew's account, the verses that come immediately before the verses that we just read, is the story of, of the woman with the alabaster jar of perfume. She smashes this, this incredibly expensive jar of perfume and anoints Jesus' feet. And Judas is indignant at the waste at the loss of money, at the loss of opportunity of revenue. Judas is so disappointed, so annoyed by this, that there's no gain financially for Jesus and his disciples. And straight after that, Matthew puts in that then Judas goes to the chief priest and asks for 30 pieces of silver if he is the one who will betray Jesus. You see, Judas was a lover of money. And the Bible tells us that, that money is neutral, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, there's a verse in Luke telling the same part that we've just read, Luke 22 and verse 3, which says, when Judas decided to go and betray Jesus, it says, Luke 22 and verse 3, that Satan entered into Judas. So you're like, oh, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Because Judas was not an innocent bystander who was suddenly taken over and possessed 
by this ghoulish kind of Satan kind of demon. Let me read John 4, 12, sorry, and verse 4 to 6, which I think will really help us. John 12, verse 4 to 6. Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray Jesus, said, why was the ointment that the woman had, had broken over Jesus' feet not sold for 300 denarii and not given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You see, Judas was a thief. And there was a sin in his life. And when Satan sees a sin and a wrong desire, a sinful desire, he can come and take that over and use that for evil purposes. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3. Let me just read out these couple of verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were made by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That verse, those few verses, you see, tell us that when we are walking in our sinful desires, when we are walking in the ways of the world, when we are walking in the passions of the flesh, that Satan uses that for his purposes. Satan uses that to fulfill his evil plans and purposes. You see, Satan has power in our lives where sinful passions hold sway. Judas was a thief. Judas was controlled by the love of money. He was a liar and he was a deceiver. And what Satan did was to take those sinful passions and use them to achieve the evil ends that Satan wanted to destroy Jesus on the cross. Let's read on. Matthew 26, verse 45 to 50. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. You know, it says in uh, Matthew's version of events, 20, in, in, in those version of events in chapter 26, 10 times that it was an act of betrayal. 
that, that Judas betrayed his friend, his master, the one he'd been following for the last three years. And just one point before we read the next key scripture that we're going to focus in on. You know, a kiss was a way of greeting someone in that society. It wasn't an unusual request, an unusual greeting. But what was unusual was that the disciple kissed the rabbi. Because normally in that culture, it would be the rabbi who kissed the disciple. But here we have the ultimate act of betrayal, Judas betraying Jesus in the dead of night with a kiss, a kiss to his rabbi, to his master, to his savior. So Judas has betrayed Jesus. Judas has betrayed Jesus into the hands of his enemy. Now, let's look at Matthew 27 and verses 1 to 10. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. I have sinned, Judas said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken to by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. What could have been? Have you ever wondered what could have been? Yesterday, I had the privilege, a friend of, me, friend of mine got me a ticket to go and see the rugby, to go and see England play Ireland at Twickenham. It was a great event. It was a brilliant match. But do you know what? One of the England players got red carded after two minutes. So, so the result was going to be almost certain that the Ireland would have won because if you're down to 14 players after two minutes with, with, a, with 78 minutes stretching of the match, you're almost certainly going to lose the match. So I was thinking yesterday, what could have been if the England player didn't get sent off? What could have been if an alcoholic doesn't take his first drink? What could have been if a couple had gone for counseling before filing for divorce? What could have been if a friend had taken the cab and not driven home drunk? What could have been if you'd left your dead-end job 10 years ago and put in an application form for your dream job? What could have been if you've gone on that date? 
what could have been. You see, Judas hung himself before, this is important, before Pilate had questioned Jesus and before Barabbas was released, before any of that happened, Judas had hung himself. He hung himself before Jesus said those famous words on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. What could have been? We're going to look at two things, two key things in this umbrella title, what could have been? The first one is forgiveness. Judas could have known the forgiveness of Jesus. You see, Judas tried to make it right. In the verses we read in Matthew 27, he tried to make it right. Verse 3, we read that he was filled with remorse. He was very clear that he had done wrong. He wasn't living in denial. He knew what he had done was wrong. It wasn't leading to the desires or the aims that he may have had. He, he knew, he was convicted in his heart and his mind that he had done wrong. He brought back the money. He brought back the money that he had received for betraying Jesus. And in verse 4, we read, he says, he says, I have sin. He specifically says that. This is not a man who thinks he's done right or a man who's living in denial. No, this is a man who knows he's done wrong, who knows he's messed up, who knows he's done something terrible. He confesses the enormity of what he's done. I mean, the spiritual leaders didn't want to have anything to do with him. They, they saw Judas as just a mere tool in the Easter story and in getting Jesus to die on the cross. They threw away the money. They, they didn't know what to do with it because, you know, it, it was blood money. It was, it was tainted money. Judas knew that he had done wrong. But I want to stop here for a moment and, and compare to and contrast Judas and Peter. Judas and Peter. Because as I just said, what Judas did was terrible, was wrong, but it was not unforgivable. Let's stop on our focus on Judas for a minute and look at Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. You will know the story. It was prophesied by Jesus. Peter said, no, I won't do that. But he does. He denies Jesus three times. And then the cock crows. He was asked, you know Jesus of Nazareth? No, I don't. Yes, you do. We've seen you around him. No, I haven't. He denies Jesus point blank three times. The cock crows. Peter feels terrible. In one of the Gospels, it says that through the courtyard, Jesus saw Peter and Peter ran off because he was so gutted and so full of shame that he let his master and his savior down. Peter then saw Jesus die on the cross. Peter was then there three days later at the tomb. He, he was there. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw the fact that Jesus was not dead, but alive. But you know what, Jesus, what Peter does then? Peter doesn't go back to being one of the disciples. He goes back to fishing. He goes back to his old profession. Because he still felt that, that guilt, that shame, that he'd let Jesus down, that he'd messed up, that he'd done something so, so terrible. So he felt, I can't be in ministry anymore. I can't 
tell people about Jesus. I can't follow Jesus anymore. I've let him down. I'm, I'm too bad. So he goes back to fishing. He goes back to what he knew. And then in John 21, and it's well worth your time reading it, we read there the most beautiful story. Peter is out fishing on the lake. He's doing what he knows. He's going back to his roots. And Jesus is on the shore. And Jesus calls out to Peter and says, throw your nets down the other side. And Peter throws his nets the other side and has this miraculous catch of fish. He takes his boat into the shore. Jesus has made a fire and they have breakfast on the beach. Then Jesus says to Peter three times, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I do, Master, I love you. Jesus says again, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Master, I do. Jesus says a third time, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Master, you know I do. Each one of these cancelling out the denial that, G that Peter had made in the courtyard. And then Jesus says to Peter, follow me. It's exactly the same phrase that Jesus gave to Peter three years earlier when he called him as a fisherman. Because what Jesus is doing is saying, look, I've forgiven you, Peter. Your shame is gone. Your guilt is gone. It doesn't matter that you denied me anymore. I know that you love me. I commission you again to go in Jesus' name. It's the most beautiful story of Jesus' forgiveness and Peter being empowered to go and be the rock on which the early church is built. But Judas, Judas never got to hear Jesus' word of forgiveness. Judas made a rash decision. Oh, Judas, what could have been? Judas no sin is too great for Jesus Christ. No sin is too great for Jesus to forgive. Look at Peter. Look at the redemption of Peter, the rock on which the church is built. Judas could have been forgiven. Judas could have been reinstated and used powerfully for God. Oh, Judas, what could have been? So let me just focus on, it, on each one of us, on, on our lives. Forgiveness is there, ready and waiting for all of us. It's there. It's waiting. No one, no one is too far from God. No one has done something of which you cannot be forgiven. No one is, is too far removed. No one is on the scrap heap of God's plans and purposes. No, God's forgiveness is there for every single one of us. Here's, here's the point that I think is quite pertinent. You see, Judas felt bad, felt guilt, knew he'd done wrong, he, he saw the consequences of his sin. He, he wanted to repay it. He wanted to, to, to undo the mess that he had made. 
But the missing piece of the jigsaw, the, 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 the missing key to, to connect everything together and, and to see Judas forgiven and released into a new opportunity and a new life was that he didn't allow himself to respond to the pursuing of Jesus. You see, for Peter, Jesus pursued him. Jesus went to the water's edge and pursued Peter, called out his name, told him to put his nets on the other side of the boat. And then Peter responded, and then God's forgiveness kind of came in the most beautiful and wonderful of ways. The parable of the prodigal son that, that, that Jesus tells in Luke 15 is a parable that, that when we mess up and when we get it wrong and when we are far from God, the Father is waiting, the Father is watching, the Father is looking, and he's ready, he's waiting, he's on his toes, waiting to respond to the merest of movements on our behalf, the merest of turning to him, the merest of responding to his invitation, the merest of acceptance of his love and his forgiveness. Don't, don't stick with your remorse and your I'm sorry and your guilt and your regret. Don't stick there. Receive the forgiveness of God receive and respond to the forgiveness of God. Jesus is pursuing you. He's pursuing each one of you. He wants to forgive you for the wrong that you've done. He wants to wrap you in his arms. He wants to kiss away your guilt and failure. And he's just saying, will you respond? Will you respond to me? Will you respond to my love, my forgiveness, the fact that I am there for you, love you, and want to forgive you? for the wrong that you have done. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Judas was not too far from the forgiveness of God. Second thing, and there's only two things that I want to focus on. The second thing is this, that not only did Judas miss out on the forgiveness of God, he missed out on the future glory. You see, if Judas had not hanged himself, he would have experienced the most spectacular and earth-shattering event in all of history. He would have experienced the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Judas had stayed alive, he would have heard and he would have seen Jesus is alive. Like doubting Thomas, he would have been able to feel the holes in his master and his savior's hand. He would have been able to see and touch his savior, his master, the one that he had followed for the last three years. And you see, there was this dark deed. There was this dark deed that Judas was a part of, but through it came the most glorious message of hope. The most glorious message of death defeated of forgiveness for our sins, of life and love for all people. You see, the details of Jesus' death and betrayal 
were prophesied hundreds of years earlier. Hundreds of years earlier. Just a couple of examples. Psalm 118 verse 22 talks about evil men rejecting Jesus. Zechariah 13 verse 7 talks about a disciple of Jesus abandoning and betraying him. Psalm 41 and verse 9 talks about 30 pieces of silver being the amount that a friend betrayed Jesus for. Psalm 34 verse 20 and Zechariah 12 verse 10 talk about the fact that Jesus' bones would be pierced, his body would be, sorry, his side would be pierced, but none of his bones would be broken. And we read it in verse 9 and 10 of verse 20 of chapter 27. It would be prophesied that the money, the 30 pieces of silver, the blood money was used to buy a field. All of these events, all of them were prophesied. All of them were foretold. All the flogging, all the spitting, all the mocking, all the evil deeds that led to that dark day on Calvary have the hand and the plan of God upon them. Acts 4 and verse 27 and 28 talks about the hand and plan of God at work through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But to get to the glory of the empty tomb, you have to go through the darkness and the, 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 the evil of Calvary. You have to go through the darkness and go through the evil of Good Friday to get to the joy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, Judas could have experienced the joy of the resurrection. God, God is at work in all the detail. We've been learning that through the book of Esther over the last couple of months. God's plan was at work through Calvary. God's plan was at work through all of the events that took place that led up to Jesus' death on the cross. God was at work. His plan was out working. And you want to say to Judas, oh, what could have been, Judas, if you had stayed in the game, if you had stayed alive, you could have experienced the future glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, Judas, what could have been? I want to kind of like land this to kind of conclude. It's not the easiest topic to look at, Judas. It's not the easiest kind of scriptures to, to, to expound and relate to. But I do feel that in this message, there are these two key truths that we are all to take on board. These two key truths that are fundamental for us to hear and to take on board. Firstly, forgiveness. I want you to know that God's forgiveness is for each and every one of you. Nothing, nothing that you have done is too far from the forgiveness of God. Nothing. God's forgiveness washes away our sin, our failure, our mess, our shame, and our guilt. No one is excluded. No one is too bad or too far. God's forgiveness 
is for you. And then the future glory of God's plans and purposes are for you. Stay in the game. Stay through the dark times. Stay through the struggles. Stay through the pain. Stay through the troubles and things that you may be grappling with right now because there is a future glory that God has for each and every one of you. A future glory, a plan, a purpose that he is outworking for each and every one of you. I want us to pray in a moment and then I want us to respond as we, as we worship. I do feel that this message and these two points are incredibly pertinent to many here today. Many of you may have this nagging sense of these events or these thoughts or these things that you have done, which you just think are not able to be forgiven by Jesus. That is a lie. That is a lie. God's forgiveness is for each and every one of us. It washes away our sin. It reinstates us as sons and daughters of the Most High. Jesus is pursuing you. Jesus is there for you. Bring your regret. Bring your shame. Bring your guilt. Bring the wrong that you have done to him and let him do the most beautiful work of reconciliation, of reinstatement, of of knowing that you are a child, a son, a daughter, 